you had a couple of kids. Still nowadays you come over to stay when your marriage life is on the skids. I knock outside your bedroom, say, honey, I got Brad on the phone. You better take his call, baby, you're gonna end up sad and alone. Sad and alone. Sad. I got Brad. Please take the call from Brad. Brad on the phone. I'm Josh Conn. This is Pam Benjamin. Give her some money. Have a good night and stay safe. Hey, Josh Conn, everyone. Heck yeah. Oh my goodness. Song parodies. I'm like, why do you do comedy? You're talented. You can play a guitar. <laughs> That's amazing. You have real talent. What are you doing talking into a microphone when you can sing and play something at the same time? Dear Lord. Your next comedian. What a talented and wonderful man he is. He's uh, he's a, he's all over the bay. I mean, things have been crazy since COVID, but he's like on the punchline and the cobs and all the places. And you're, it, we all are so blessed to have him here. Put your hands together, everybody, for Vishal Call! Yay! If you need a fresh con, well, that's my con. How's that? How's that? Can you guys uh, hear me through this? You guys can hear me? Awesome. Uh, one more time for Josh, actually. That was so much fun, Josh. Where'd he go? Yeah, it was super fun, man. Maybe at the end, if we have time, we could like riff over something. That could be f yeah, that could be fun. Uh, hey, how's it going, guys? My name is uh, Vishal Kalyanasundaram. Super long Indian last name, right? Like uh, somebody told me that like last names were used to like traditionally denote like what you did and stuff, right? And I was like, whoa. My last name was traditionally used to annoy white people, so that makes sense. <laughs> but it's interesting, you know, like, uh, it's a weird time, right? Like, we're all thinking a lot about race and stuff, presumably, right? Like, make some noise if you've been to, like, a protest recently. Yeah, awesome, like, you've been to a protest. Yeah, I went to a protest myself, uh, a George Floyd Black Lives Matter protest, and it was beautiful, man. Like, you know, as a minority, my heart went out because I was like, if I had been born in a different situation, you know, this could be me. They could be doing this for me, right? And then they got to the part where they started chanting all the names of all the dead people. And I was like, oh, they cannot do this for me. <laughs> Nobody's rallying for Kalyana Sundaram. <laughs> if I died of police brutality, I cannot be the poster child. Because that rally would be so shitty, too. They'd be like, say his name. No. <laughs> say his name. How? <laughs> say his name. I think we got to kill a different guy. <laughs> no, that'd be bad. Uh, do you guys want to talk more about race stuff or do you guys want to talk about dating? I don't know. What are you guys in the mood for? I was going to say effing, but this is a clean show, so, okay, yeah, let's talk about that. You guys been dating and stuff during COVID? Yeah, things are getting a little bit better, right? Yeah, make some noise if you are. One sad guy, and we'll admit it, that's fine. No, my dating life's been going pretty good. I'm pretty proud about something, actually. I'm 25, and I recently hooked up with a 40...
there's music and there's laughter. I don't know if I'm scared of dying, but I'm scared of living too fast, too slow. Regret, remorse, hold on, no, no, I gotta go. There's no starting over, no new beginnings, time raises all. Hey everybody, welcome to the Weekly Review. We're having some technical difficulties here, but we'll get started momentarily. Until then, we'll be playing some music, so please do stay tuned. Thank you so much.
Friday, November 5th, November 6th, November 6th, 2020. Thanks so much for tuning in. We're broadcasting live from Mutiny Radio, which sits on the unceded ancestral homeland of the Romotishaloni peoples, who are the original ha- inhabitants of the San Francisco Peninsula. And for more information, please go to weeklyrev.org and click on the Land Acknowledgements tab. There's a lot of information there, including history, maps, places to donate, as well as uh, indigenous journalists that folks can follow for more information. So our internet's down here at the moment, and I don't feel like it's quite safe for me to uh, fix it. It's uh, it's not that complicated to explain, but uh, just not uh, able to do that. However, uh, I found some ways around this, given that we are living in the, this technological age. And um, yeah, uh, yesterday I had the privilege of speaking with Shauna Virago about the Trans Film Fest, which is coming up, and folks around the world, as long as you have internet access, uh, you can check out these films. It's super exciting. I've been the last, I think, every year since I've been back in the Bay Area, I've been to this fest, and it's just a really great curation of work from around the world, and it's very validating, and it's a really special event. So we had a really good talk, and I'll be playing that now because I was able to get onto. Uh, onto Skype, and we'll also be hearing from uh, some of Shauna's music afterwards. So please stay tuned, and let me see here how I can do this. So this is me speaking with Shauna Virago. about a few things and uh, oh, one thing me, uh, in particular is the I forgot to turn up the submix so i'm gonna just rewind to the beginning here, here Shana Virago, Shana, thanks for being here thank you roman thank you so much yeah and today we'll be talking about a few things and uh, one thing in particular is the upcoming trans film fest yay yeah um it's coming up next week november 12th through 15th um it's an online festival and um, people can go to our website and find tickets and schedule and all that kind of stuff. So, San Francisco Transgender Film Festival, all of our good information is there. Excellent. Would you mind sharing a little bit of information about the history of the fest? Sure. 
So um, we started in 1997, and there's been some dispute if we were the first or maybe not the first by like minutes or something. So um, there was one in London at the time that started up for a short while, but we're definitely the longest running transgender film festival in the world. Oh, wow. Yeah, we're definitely the longest running. Um, it was started by two friends of mine, Christopher Lee and Alex Austin. Mm-hmm. And um, at the very first one, they um, had invited me to kind of give a, a little overview on um, some of the, the community pl- political work that was going on to like, you know, rousing audience of 18 people or something. So, you know, we've come a long way <laughs> since then, for sure. Nice. And yeah. Cool. How and how has the festival evolved over the couple decades it's been around? Yeah. Well, um, let's see. I was brought on in 2003, and um, from the from the time we started till now, we have a history of, I think, screening in a lot of alternative venues, mm-hmm. um, tattoo parlors, um, house parties, um, the, the community center out here in the city. Um, some smaller venues, which um, art galleries, which was quite possible to do um, because if you could get a screen and a DVD player, mm-hmm. you know, you had a film festival. And so um, the first couple of festivals were at the Roxy Theater. It's yeah. One of, yeah. One of the oldest theaters here in San Francisco. And we've actually uh, been able to afford to get back there um, for the last five years. So obviously not this year, but um, that's kind of become our home every mm-hmm. November. Yeah. As far as how we've changed, I think in some ways, I, I look at the festival that we are kind of a, um, almost like a, a 1980s punk label, mm-hmm. you know, like SST Records or something. So I think we've uh, always, we, from the time we started to now, we've always prioritized kind of underrepresented voices and DIY approaches to, to filmmaking, um, a lot of quirkiness. We have, we have not really ever been part of, say, the um, what's gone on in mainstream media. Mm-hmm. Not been, that's not been the allure for any of us involved, I would say. Yes. And I want to be clear, like I understand people find, they find themselves there and they love seeing trans content on HBO or something. And that's, you know, that's great for them. And it's just, I think, I I think at what we would call the margins. And I feel a lot of times um, that's where our, our kind of our aesthetics and our struggles really come together in in interesting ways. ways yeah <laughs> yeah definitely I can think of the um, I've been going pretty much every year since I've been back in the Bay Area and I just really love the variety of uh, films and shorts that are that are offered 
And so I do appreciate the, the thought that goes into uh, what's selected to be shown. Yeah, cool. I think, um, you know, there's a conscious curation mm -hmm. about making sure that um, the people on the screening committee tend to be in community, whether they're artists or they're doing some form of anti-oppression work. A lot of people have done, like, police accountability work, um, prison industrial kind of intersectionality work. So I think we also have, and uh, some of us involved, like myself or Storm, come from these places, and Eric, who is our festival coordinator, comes from these places. So um, I think that's what, what I think of as sort of the, the place we should start from, I realize is not the case anymore. Mm. So I feel like what we continue, I, it's almost like the Hollywood moment is important for, in some ways, maybe giving people opportunities that didn't exist. Yeah. But there's this, as we know, there's this whole like other zone of um, creativity and intelligence going on that will never want to be part of that world. And I think that's kind of, we're trying to make sure that those stories get screened. Definitely. You know. Yeah, it's very important. And also along the lines of folks being able to tell their own stories, because even yeah. if folks are able to get into the business as far as mainstream media goes, even that leads to, um, i trying to think of the best way to phrase it, just the visit, there's visibility, but that doesn't always necessarily mean that the authenticity is there in terms of the storytelling. Right. I completely agree with you. And, you know, some shows um, maybe give people opportunities a lot of times, actors, sometimes as directors, but then they still will have a lot of cis people um, in decision-making mm. positions and, and also as the stars. Yes. And that is bizarre. Yeah. Right? Very. Because it's like, how do you act trans? Or how do you act gender nonconforming? It's, mm -hmm. you know, they think it's just about the externals and not like our internal lives. And, right, right. Um, yeah, it's weird. Don't get me started. Oh, I mean, I can. I mean, I, I think it's just a, a topic that's very rich for discussion. And it also feels really validating to speak with someone else who also gets it because I feel like there is that appreciation of the, the there's been a, definitely a change and then also there leaves so much to be desired and I think it's just it's right. easy to have like I think complicated feelings about it. Absolutely. Um, I, and I think one of the things I, I do feel um, I know I have to bring the recent presidential election into the, the chat right now mm -hmm. because I feel that um, what one of the bizarre things, um, and I saw a great post somewhere saying that the the winner of the election is still white supremacy, yep. right? No matter what yeah. happens. Yeah. And um, I don't know about exit polling. Seems. But it, it did say like three out of white white men voted for Trump. Mm -hmm. And so it seems that they have a whole different set of priorities that have nothing to do with 
justice or empathy, I would say. Mm -hmm. And I feel a lot of times um, queers, and I get why, want to um, become part of like the sort of mainstream, what we call American experiment. Mm -hmm. We think once we've arrived with visibility that that's going to shift like the needle mm -hmm. on this sort of like decades and centuries of entrenched I don't know what it what I really I'm inadequate at really doing a good analysis uh, of what the these people are stuck on and what their fears are and where their hatreds come from um, white people um, against communities of color against queers um, you know and it's also not just working class white people right it's yeah. college, college educated people and so I do think as queers you know um, we have to remember that visibility, and I think you brought up the term visibility a minute ago, it's like, you know, that's not enough. Right. We see that. Like, we have to go farther. We have to do more. We have to, uh, we have to make sure that we have solid foundations. And I think sometimes um, that work is ongoing and, you know, I don't know. I'm stressed out today. Yeah. I make sense. I need more coffee. Oh. Sorry. No, it makes a lot of sense. And I think it also just reminds me of the idea of like people striving for assimilation and, and this idea that somehow it'll save people when right. in reality it doesn't. You end up just taking part in this really violent yeah. system. Yeah. And that um, visibility for trans people, assimilation for trans people, you know, that can lead to us being hurt. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Well, it's like our struggles are very different from what we would traditionally call, right, cisgender and um, gay and lesbian people. And in fact, I, I read that possibly like 35 or 40 percent of cisgender gay white men in, in Georgia voted for Trump. And um, again, you know, I think who said they had to be our friends? Right. Why do we think they're our friends? I don't know, but. Yeah. Well, there's that, it makes me think of the, there's a James Baldwin quote, which I will do my best to summarize. And it's the idea that gay cis white men are born thinking they should, should have all these privileges. And because they are gay, they um, feel slighted in some way. And that's what kind of turns them to be more, or, or can be, I should say, overall, um, can be, um, right. just um, purveyors of white supremacy. Absolutely. And, and misogyny and transphobia, et cetera. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. So, But um, whenever you want, I, I have to cheat with my press release because I have our basics. Oh, here. sure. Yes, please. So I just want people to know um, that the 2020 San Francisco uh, Film Festival will be completely online. Mm -hmm. um, people can go to our website, um, sftff.org, for information and tickets. I want to say that um, we have seven programs. All the films will be closed captioned this year. Oh, great. Yeah, for deaf and hard of hearing audiences. And um, so we're very excited about that. We have... Um, one program that is a plus 18 program, but I would say 
it just had to be, but I think the films are very rich and interesting movies, and so I, if you're plus 18, I think you'll love that. Whatever your aesthetic, it's a great program. So. Excellent. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> yeah, very much looking forward to it. It'll be cool. Ah, and our tickets are oh, yes. zero to whatever you can pay. Oh, so. nice. Yeah, you know, we're all stuck at home and trying to make, have people have options to um, shelter in place and hopefully good ways and feel some connection with the outside world. Yeah, and I think it's, it'll be, it's a great opportunity for folks who are not in the Bay Area to be able to uh, check out these films. Yeah, um, it's, I look forward to that and I, we have a lot of great community partners, so I'm hoping the word gets kind of spread yeah. to happen, um, that people all over the, the country, and the films will be up, you know, for the whole, um, those, whatever that is, three, four days. Mm -hmm. People can watch them on their own time. Nice. Yeah, because we have some films from um, the Netherlands, England, France, um, South Africa, so Canada, so hopefully um, those those folks will be able to see their movies. Yeah. Yeah, very cool. Um, but uh, it's been a labor of love. It always is, and yeah. it's it always it always feels good once the movies start. And one thing, uh, what's interesting about this year, one thing I really like is that. Typically, obviously, we're a live event. We all mm -hmm. come together because I think um, it's still important that trans and gender nonconforming people we get to be together in the same yeah. space. Yeah. So we don't have to. Um, we can just be ourselves, and we don't actually have to talk about gender to everybody. Mm -hmm. And uh, I mean, I'm sure we all. I had a, just recently. I had somebody want to. Um, when you know, I had somebody want to let me know about a, a book they read, a transgender book, a cisgender person. What did I think of this writer? Never heard of them. They don't know the writer. Don't know the book. Or what are some ways they can support their their transitioning niece? Mm -hmm. All great, love it. But at the same time, sometimes you know, you just want to hang out and eat chips and watch movies and stuff. So right, right. <laughs> chance for that yeah excellent yeah Thanks. cool yeah i thought also if you wanted to share since you're also a musician if you'd like to share um links and we'll also i'll be playing some of your music on the show if there's anything in particular you wanted to share about your musical career um the most recent thing i've put out um is called heaven sent delinquent mm -hmm. the electric single version okay and um, you can see it on YouTube, and um, it it was filmed right before Shelter in Place happened. Mm -hmm. And I, with my partner Sean, we uh, rented a zip car, and we just started to do a bunch of filming one afternoon. Um, and uh, I I had a bigger project in mind, but 
I happened to have that song recorded and I um, we had we filmed that footage right before the um, pandemic really took off and it it's interesting because now it looks kind of like oh I remember those days of like a road trip mm. and it has a, like a, a nostalgia for it that wasn't intended I think um, but that's the most recent thing and um, for the past, so you know I mean I've been around a while so that's its own interesting journey um, so I came out in the 80s and I began to live um, whatever the word is now like every day getting up you know in the early 90s and so um, I've always been a musician been in different bands and uh, for the past few years I kind of got well I do primarily acoustic shows mm -hmm. so, uh, what a lot of people call folk punk and I want to say it's interesting whenever you put out a record or a song you kind of find the genre, like the genres people see you as. Yes. I just consider myself a, but mm -hmm. I'm kind of uh, also considered like a folk punk artist by a lot of people. So um, I think if, if you like queer, trans, kind of singer-songwriter stuff, that's, that's what I do. So like Storm, Miguel Flores, my friend, we're... He's a little more rootsy than me. I'm a little more punk than him, but you know, I think our music supports each other. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah. So here I am. I'm still at it, and that's what I do really. And I, I've made a series of music videos over the year, a couple short films over the years. Um, so that's kind of where that my love of film and music come together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes, I recall seeing some of them at the at previous film festivals. Some of them, um, of course, are plus eighteen, so um, say that's that's a good thing. Yeah. You know, it's a shame that MTV never had like that plus eighteen night. Mm. Been horrible. It would have been like this, you know, horrible misogyny and stuff. So maybe that was good. Yeah, probably not too different from as it was. Yeah. Unfortunately. But yeah. So, all the more important reasons is to for people to make their own art. Absolutely. Yeah. And I do think that's um I think right now, um, you know, I think people can see coming to the online festival this year. They can see all of our sass and our smarts and our creativity, you know, and our our sexiness and our our kind of braveness and our edge. And I think that uh, as much as I do have, I do hope that the overt neo-fascist authoritarian who has been in charge does not win the election. Um, no matter what happens, I know that we are a very strong and resilient um, people and communities. Mm -hmm. And our art reflects that, and we'll keep 
pursuing and making great art and coming together because we're as you know I mean I think it's um, as a white person I think sometimes even if we we get really aware of the struggles of communities of color and BIPOC people you know we don't grow up with it we don't get to talk around what to expect as you go through the world and um, we like I got I've experienced a lot of police abuse but at the same time because as a white person I realized that the extent of it I think has been censored mm-hmm. if, compared to uh, BIPOC trans people friends of mine who have experienced police abuse you know mm-hmm. um, but I do think that so some people have, have been organizing as we know for centuries they've been in it for the long haul and I think it's up to all of us to keep supporting these communities, these struggles, asking for that with our struggles. And I think that's going to keep happening. Yes. You know? and, yes. Um, and I think the art and the festival shows a lot of that. And there's a consciousness that is out there that will not die. Mm-hmm. Much as they try to kill it and kill us, it's not going to happen, you know? Yeah. We're too, we're too strong. We're too sexy. Yeah. And can we just say what it is? It's it's jealousy. Mm. Like it just is. Like that's such a big part of the hatred. Mm. Just like jealousy, and not not growing up learning empathy, never having opportunities. You know. Yes. And being able to be yourself. I think yeah. it's part of, too, like, growing up in this country, there's so many messages that we get, both directly and indirectly, that really limit our potential for how we express ourselves in the world and how we communicate and how we show up. And I think folks who are able to question that and break free from that are feel like a threat to people who are afraid to do that for themselves. Absolutely. Yeah. And we're like... You know, if you will practice compassion and peace, you know, we welcome you. Mm-hmm. Like, we could be the best friends you've ever had. Mm-hmm. You know, but um, you got to you gotta do the work. You got to unlearn your violence. Mm. So, you know, I mean, we all do in a way, but yeah. we're not all walking around with assault rifles. And <laughs> yes. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. I more coffee. <laughs> oh. No, it's all it's at times it feels like it's insurmountable just because it's been going on for generations. And at the same time I do feel hopeful that there are more and more people who are becoming aware of that and beginning to show up. Yeah. I mean, um I think both are true. It's it's crazy to me. Mm-hmm. I. What is interesting is how I don't think any of us really know. It's hard to be, I think, very conscious and present of the times we live in. Mm-hmm. Um, because so much is going on, and um, one thing I will say about the the last two elections, that we just keep seeing this sort of hatred um, of like the of white patriarchy 
really out in the open mm-hmm. and how a lot of people truthfully like they don't seem to a lot of white people don't seem to care about their own well-being or or economic well-being or their own physical health mm-hmm. like they really um and i think you're right i think they grow up they're so they're kind of um, from day one. They live in these pressure cookers where they have to conform, and that turns into this sort of kind of um, internal violence. That um, because they're not doing any work, like deep breathing or anything, they're not learning to bear it. So they have to they have to go lash out at people. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's almost as if we're living in the 21st century, and they're living in like the 11th century. Mm. You know, and and I've used this example before in the 11th century, like in Europe, mm-hmm. these people, most of them had horrible teeth and there were no hair products, right? And they're like planting turnips and stuff in the fields. And, you know, you had one or two people saying, you know, this doesn't really make any sense. Like there's a hundred of us planting turnips. And there's the one guy and his family up there in the mansion, mm-hmm. Duke. And then 98 of the 100 people are saying, hey, chill out. Relax. This is, are you kidding? We get all the turnips we want. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it takes a while. And it, it, we can, we will shift consciousness. We will get more people on our side in the <laughs> turnip field. And um, <laughs> sorry, I don't know. I I don't know. I, I'm on a I'm on a soapbox. You know, after this call ends, I'm like, oh my god, what will I do for the next hour? Where will I go? Where What are you gonna do? Where are you gonna? Uh, therapist later this afternoon. Okay, good. We do a uh, distant like uh, walks, which is good. So oh, okay. it was like safer than being indoors definitely so yeah that's that's my my thursday routine these days really good yeah Yeah. um are you um because you talk to so many people um are you learning a lot of the ways people are doing self-care and right now and uh, have you um been sharing some of the things you're finding out that work for you as well yeah um i've been doing more, I mean, there's, as far as, like, folks I've been speaking with, certainly, like, activism is something where there's that idea that um, by being, there's a lot to be depressed and angry and anxious about, and by taking action, and I think there was a lot leading up to the election, like, there's a lot of folks who are working for No on Prop 22, and folks who are working on Jackie Fielder's campaign, and a few other propositions and campaigns, and I think folks taking a lot of action in that regard was a, a good use of energy, because I don't want to qualify by saying good, I should say maybe it felt like a useful way of spending time in terms of um, taking action to either get out the word or to either pass out flyers, just other other ways to focus on, I think, local politics, where I feel if more folks focus on the local uh, propositions and elections, it would be, I think, probably better off than just the national um, one, so so there, that was like one thing, and for myself, 
doing, um, I've been journaling pretty much every day and that's been helpful. That was something I did growing up and then I went through a period of time where I wasn't for a variety of reasons and I just started up again and it's so helpful because I feel like me and I'm sure many other folks, I'm not seeing friends as often anymore. I'm not talking with folks as often. Right. So I feel like there's even more in me that I want to get out and having no matter what my schedule is that day or who I get to speak with, I have an opportunity to get my thoughts out, to write down my dreams. I've been having very bizarre dreams, as I'm sure many folks have. Right. And having a way to get it out of my body, onto the page, recording it, and having it, just having a better, perhaps, understanding of what's going on in my mind, because there's so many thoughts. I'm a pretty sensitive person, so it's, it's good to have an outlet for that. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. Very cool. And the meditation is, is has also been it's similar to the journaling where I I think the biggest part of that is that I'm not looking at my phone for twenty minutes. So I don't have a screen in front of me. I'm not scrolling on Twitter. I'm not looking for updates or waiting to hear something. It's more I'm just in my mind with my thoughts, with my breath, and it I feel more uplifted and more calm and at peace and also it helps me think of, okay, what can I do next? Like, what will be the best thing for me to do next in my day, even? Like, little things like that to help me kind of sort out my, my thoughts a bit. Yeah, cool. Very cool. Yeah. How about for yourself? Um, well, uh, yeah, I try, I try to meditate every day for a few minutes, and um, I I, what can I say? I mean, I had that. Um, my partner um, and I meditate together a lot. Oh, sweet. Which is really nice. And um, we both try to go for a walk every day. Mm-hmm. You know, um, yeah, I try to, I've been trying to do a, like a 20 minute walk just here and there, and um, and play guitar every day, and then we all we have a cat, mm-hmm. you know. So we love this. We love our cat, and uh, <laughs> we. I will say this: that I do find myself taking more naps, mm-hmm. which is weird, but it's been nice because you know it's more. It's like. I found taking a nap with a cat really one of the best things in life. Yes. And, you know, so he's just so blissed out mm-hmm. and uh, makes biscuits and he loves it. It's nice to cuddle with him and, um, yeah, so. Really- I can definitely relate. Before oh. this, was, I was also uh, napping with a cat, so. Right. It, it's also a nice reminder that, oh, yeah, we can, as humans, we can, we can rest. It's okay to rest for a bit. Yeah, it's really okay. Like, you know, Sean is like, if you can't rest during a pandemic, when can you rest? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So it's, uh, I feel very grateful. I mean, just connecting with friends still. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I mean, through Zoom, mostly. Yeah. You know, 
Um, and having things, I think, I having things to do is important. Whatever that for people, whatever that is, you know, like having a little art project or um, baking or something like that. Yes. Yeah. Stuff like that to do. Yeah, taking care of plants. Yeah. You know, and like I appreciate. Um, I was quite nervous before this um, interview, but I really appreciate your show and I appreciate you making time to talk. Thank you. Oh, cool. And um, I really body at all beforehand. I thought, oh my god, because I I was checking the news right literally before we went on, and um, I. I don't know if I should do that the rest of the day or not. I don't know. But, you know, some friends of mine are Star Wars people, mm-hmm. right? And um, and I appreciate Star Wars. Mm-hmm. I'm probably a little bit more on the Star Trek team, I admit yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. But I, what I like about, you know, Star Wars is that the Rebels always win. And... Mm-hmm. The Empire's always loses. Like, it's never the knockout blow. But you walk out of there, the theater, you're going, yay, you know, we feel, you feel good. And I'm trying to, to remember, like, that's kind of what's going on right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you know, that's what we're up against. But they're so arrogant and inept. They, they, they do seem to lose a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so, I don't know. Um, at least it's out in the open. Yes, yes. And I also have a lot of faith in the younger generations. Not that it should be up to the youth to, like, to save us or save the planet. However, I do feel a lot of what I'm hearing from younger folks is that they're so much more aware of, for instance, like, systemic oppression and how things work and the, the actual history of this country than I was at their age, and that also gives me hope. Yeah, I think I think you're right. It's I think we underestimate that people die off, you know, like um, oppressors do die off, mm-hmm. and that there there is something uh, different about younger people. Um, but I I feel sometimes like. I'm putting. Um, am I putting too much pressure on them too? Mm. Like, hurry yeah. up, you know, grow a little bit older, so you can like completely make your presence felt. Out. Um, um, yeah, but they're they are they're they're different. I think. I think I totally agree with you. You know, like I mean. It's funny, I I have, you know, here I have our, our press release mm-hmm. right here and uh, wherever it went. And um, I, I'm still, like, I do everything on paper. Mm-hmm. I like doing stuff on paper as well. Yeah. Well, and yet I, I do see that there's a way of sharing information that is good and bad, but I do think a lot of the young people are, are able to filter out sort of the uh, the dregs and the worst parts of things, and they are not, they don't care about your gender expression, and mm-hmm. 
and they know that genocide and slavery are in the fabric of everything and uh, they can bear it you know yeah I one of my things and um, I don't I hope you don't get like haters on your podcast you know ever because um, one, one one of the things I think is true is like how we underestimate like and it's so apparent that the like hatred for anyone different than you is just part of the the foundation of this country mm -hmm. like, the entitlement to just like kill people and enslave mm -hmm. people and kidnap people and you would think that there would be I was thinking today um I was reading this book on uh, the Holocaust and the Nazis and how um I got this book. It's about people who've been exiled that had nothing to, I didn't know what it, the introduction was, the writer starts from this place and he goes into some other areas. And I was thinking that, you know, if, if the outcome had been different in that war, they would have kept going. Mm -hmm. Right. And um, I think that that's something that was just like, right. They would have not stopped. They would have kept killing people in this system. I, I think we underestimate a lot of us here in this country. Like, that's that's what's been going on here, too. Yes, yes. You know, like, why is that so hard to open your heart and say we, enough is enough? I don't I don't know. I mean, my guess is that there's just so much, been so much propaganda and, like, American exceptionalism that's taught from a very young age. Like, I grew up in a very leftist household, I've mostly lived in, in or around big cities, and at the same time, it's still inescapable between, like, the movies with, like, all the militarism and the propaganda and TV shows and right. commercials and so much that's kind of selling us on these lies, not to mention what is or isn't taught in schools, and it's just, I think one has to really start questioning what you're told, and if you don't question what you're told, then you're right. just going to go along with it. Right. Um. Well, it's also interesting, and then when that is brought to um, some people's attention, the pushback mm. and the sort of resentment that happens mm. um, is also bizarre. And I don't, uh, yeah, I, despite Trump being accused of rape and sexual assault, putting babies in cages, um, incarcerating so many uh, people of color mm -hmm. and um, disturbing the economy, not caring about people's health with COVID. I mean, there's a musician I like named Steve Conte, and uh, he's a guitarist. He was in the new New York Dolls, and oh, okay. he put, uh, he listed a few things that we all know. He's like, well, that's all I have right now, but give me five more minutes, you know, mm -hmm. and those things, I mean, they don't matter, it, they don't matter, and his base, is, his base doesn't care about that, mm -hmm. in fact, I think there's something about that that they find empowering and agreeable, mm -hmm. that's very weird. Yeah, I mean, it's this, uh, many other folks have, I think, mentioned this idea that Folks, it's not so much that they 
don't care that their lives might not get better. It's the idea that other people's lives will get worse. So as long as people can take, as long as someone else has it worse than them, that's all they care about. That's right. enough for them. Right. Uh, crazy. It's disgusting. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. But I do want to let people know that the San Francisco Transgender Film Festival, I'm <laughs> sorry, <laughs> next week, November 12th, 15, all of our films will be closed captioned for deaf and hard of hearing audiences. We have seven programs, and um, it's um, zero dollars to whatever people want to pay. Mm -hmm. you know? And so, yeah, thank you. I, I don't know, I, I wanted to uh, mention the film festival, but it's hard right now, I think, with what's going on. Of and course, yeah. I, I personally underestimated the, the response of the, um, we call him the, the evil man, the bad mm -hmm. and his base. I'm like, you just, they kind of hide. They don't, they, you know, all these pollsters get it wrong because they don't tell, they know not to tell the truth, mm -hmm. I think, to the pollsters. They don't, they don't want, it's kind of like trying to uh, do a surprise action. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Anyway, but the San Francisco Trend Center Film Festival will be next uh, week from the okay. 12th to 15th. Excellent. I'm very much looking forward to it. Yay. It's going to be great. It's, it's going to be good. It's going to be empowering. And yeah. the films are great. All the, the directors, the filmmakers are great. Um, fantastic. Yeah. Um, and what else? Yeah. Uh, go to our website, and you can get all the information um, to get tickets and all the information on the movies and everything else. Excellent. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Yeah. Um, cool. Well, I hope you have a wonderful day. You as well. Okay. Thanks so much, Shauna. Thanks, Roman. I'll talk to you soon. Okay. Bye. Bye. All right, big thanks to Shauna Virago, and we will be posting all of these links about the Trans Film Fest as well as Shauna's music on our website, weeklyrev.org. That'll be up a little bit later today, most likely, and I'm going to play one of uh, Shauna's songs now. I did have a few more prepared, um, however, since we're not online at the moment, um, we might have to wait until next week, which is okay, and wanted to... Ah. Here. Here we go. This is a heaven sent delinquent.
Welcome back to the Weekly Review. That was Shauna Virago. And for more of Shauna's music, please go to shaunavirago.com. You can also follow Shauna on Twitter and Instagram. That's at S-H-A-W-N-A-V-I-R-A-G-O. And uh, S-H-A-W-N-A-V-I-R-A-G-O.com. We're going to play some... we got some CDs here. We're going to... I'm going to put some on here. <laughs> and uh, we'll be back with some news in a little bit. So please do stay tuned. Just loudly. 
normal girl. I'm an angry, sweaty girl, so bite me. I'm not a normal girl, cause I'm too full of contradictions and kinks and the weirdest things make my panties sweat. And I gotta do that, cause sometimes I think if I were ever to run for political office, panty sweat would be the theme of my campaign, I want men, women, and dogs too to wear huge droopy panties with disgusting stains on them, mustard colored stains. It'll be equality through panty stains. It'll be a revolution, a brand new twist on evolution, yeah. And I'll fix up the economy, the panty stain removal industry, retired bondage queens in spiky boots, walking the creases out of people's cake with slime panties, and all of America will be chanting, thank you, not normal girl, thank you, not normal girl, because it'll be a brave new world, no more Thorazine, no more methadone, no electric chairs, no simulation. Stare machines with bloated and bulimic would-be beauty queens Ascending ever upwards to a prefab feminine ideal No, no more Mr. Nice Girl, no cities, no city limits All territories will spread out like a huge droopy panty On which the elastic has gone dead, yeah is what it'll be and the not normal panty president is who i'll be because i am not a normal girl i don't think i'll ever be a normal girl but still i'm terribly popular walk to the corner store when this guy leaps in my path screaming crack on the crack get in here little lady so i go hey pardon me dude i'm just trying to go to the store if you don't mind i need to get some cheese some sharp cheddar cheese all right you mind my paradise is lost it's all gone yeah I want to go in 
Shut the hell up and go sit down somewhere. I want eggs, I want omelets, I want Bigfoot in bondage, Zeus kissing champagne, Louis the Fourteenth reign. I want to pull the reins. I want milk and flailing cheesecake queens in combat boots. Okay. confused yeah okay baby whatever you say but i got the crack and it sounds like you need it so finally i turn to him and say hey didn't i make myself clear which word didn't you understand my paradise may well be Three songs were by Maggie Estep from the album No More Mr. Nice Girl. And I first heard of Maggie Estep back in the mid-2000s, I believe. My friend uh, Emily Bank uh, shared the song with me called uh, The Stupid Jerk I'm Obsessed With, which I think a lot of us in the world can relate to. And then I also was reading this book called Bad Girls, which is like a compilation of fiction, short fiction pieces by women, and uh, she has a short story in there that was really good. Anyway, go pick it up at your local library. Okay, cool. So I'm going to be <laughs> going through some of the emails. Ah! It's a bit of a tangled web here. Going through a few emails with news updates, and one here is from Berkeley Copwatch, and they have shared this is a cop watch update for november 2020 you can find more information at copwatch.org how much violence did you accept today the election results may be undetermined but berkeley cop watch is more determined than ever to hold bpd accountable for their violence past present and future bpd has never taken any accountability for their role in the 2013 murder of kayla moore a black transgender berkeley resident their officers fire at black teenagers in the streets and escape into bureaucratic obscurity and pending investigations. BPD mistakenly pull black men from their own vehicles at gunpoint in broad daylight, alleging theft, while shoppers stroll down College Avenue. 
what can I do? Click here or keep reading. So we're going to keep reading. Enough is enough. The national election will have no impact on the policing of Berkeley citizens. The national election will not make our streets safe from the armed thugs known as the Berkeley Police Department. A Democratic victory will not bring Kayla Moore back. It will, own, it will not negate the disgustingly small margin with which Trump might be ousted. And it will not erase the fact that the United States, like our very own police department, needs to confront its own deep-seated racism. So we need more volunteers. There's going to be a new volunteer orientation Monday, November 9th at 6 p.m. And they have the information here. They have the meeting ID and the password information. And we'll share that on our weekly review page uh, later on today. Since 1990, Berkeley Cop Watch has taken a stand against police brutality, injustice, and the overreaching arm of authoritarian authoritarian capitalism. Stand with us now and refuse to be abused. There are so many different ways to get involved in Cop Watch, writing, art, activism, data entry. No experience necessary, just passion and compassion. We need your voice. And they have links where folks can donate and find out more information. And again, we'll be sharing um, more information later today on our website, weeklyrev.org. Next up, I'm going to share some news stories from the Center for Political Education, which is a great organization that folks should support. It's based here in San Francisco. And we've had uh, Rachel Herzing on the show maybe a few years ago, who shared a lot of great information from them. They put together a lot of great teach-ins and other, like, classes and just I've learned so much from them over the years and they also have been sending out weekly emails which is great because it really I feel really encompasses a lot of what's going on and they provide a I'm trying to find other synonyms for great informative analysis and um, as well as this wrap up so I really appreciate these emails. And again, please do. Um, you can contribute to them, Center for Political Education, and we'll provide a link as well on our website. And also, I would encourage folks to sign up for their emails as well, because I also recognize there's a lot of us out there, myself included, that doom scrolling is definitely an activity that uh, it's easy to partake in just to get updates on information. And also, it's, uh, I think, important to take some time away and to to recognize that there are also folks who also will provide maybe summary is not quite the right word but just or maybe a, maybe it is it's like a a list of articles so then one can choose to go through them when one is able to i feel very sleepy today okay here's the wrap up some of the articles and i will share the titles and who they are by and I will most likely read some. Uh, Nature Loss Means Deadlier Future Pandemics, UN Warns by Patrick Gailey for AFP. Next is First COVID-19 Vaccine Doses to Go to Health Workers, Say CDC Advisors. And that is by Penn Huang uh, for NPR. Pollution Adds to COVID-19 Deaths, Say Scientists by Tony Carney for New Frame. And the the links also, uh, we also have like the links here that uh, to these articles. Voter intimidation lawsuit filed after police use pepper spray at North Carolina March by Anthony Kreider for NBC News. 
The president's war on dissent is using trumped-up federal charges by Natasha Leonard for the intercept. As far as analysis, uh, why turnout for Trump is a major blow to public health by Elizabeth Yuko for CNN. When Americans took a global health crisis seriously by Brooks Marmon for Africa is a country. Um, Our Reckoning with Race by Amna Akbar for the New York Review. To prevent abhorrent state-run voter suppression and police brutality, look to local action beyond election years by Anoa Changa for Scalawag. And let's click on that. Okay. So this was published today, November 6, 2020. And that's, again, the author is Anoa Changa. Last Saturday, Melanie Mitchell took her family to the I Am Change Legacy March to the polls in downtown Graham, North Carolina, because she felt it was important for her children and mother to stand with their neighbors in the fight for justice and voting rights. We got together as a community, Mitchell said, of the initial spirit of the gathering, which was intended to be a simple, all-ages, simple demonstration of strength, featuring local speakers, highlighting the importance of civic action. Mitchell herself is an organizer with Down Home North Carolina, who organized other demonstrations in Court Square this summer alongside People for Change. But this was the first demonstration she felt comfortable bringing her kids and 61-year-old mother. We were all singing and chanting. My kids were super excited. Showing up at Saturday's rally was important to make sure others had a chance to vote, Mitchell said. Unfortunately, many of those present never got the chance. But things swiftly took a turn for the worst when law enforcement attacked the peaceful demonstrators, many of whom were on their way to vote on the last day of early voting in North Carolina. And they provide a video as well, courtesy of Melanie Mitchell. George Floyd's niece was slated to speak at the event as well, but the speeches were disrupted when officers started pepper spraying those gathered for failing to get up quickly enough after eight minutes and 46 seconds of silence to mark Floyd's final moments. Before you knew it, my five-year-old and my 11-year-old just started choking and coughing, she said. I was coughing. My five-year-old took off running to get away from it, and I had to chase her down to get her. And you can hear my 11-year-old in the video I have screaming, am I going to die? It was like a chaos scene. According to a statement from the Graham Police Department, <sighs> I'm not going to fucking read their statement because they're fucking assholes and it's one benefit to not being on NPR is I can just call the police fucking assholes. <sighs> Video circulating social media show police spraying a woman in a wheelchair and then attacking those trying to help her. As images of white police officers in gas masks and some in riot gear charging at the 100 person crowd marching to vote played out like a scene out of an episode of a civil rights documentary eyes of the civil rights documentary eyes on the prize Volunteers with Down Home, North Carolina, waited a few blocks over to the influx of voters, but few showed up. Showing up at Saturday's rally was important to make sure others had a chance to vote, Mitchell said. Unfortunately, many of those present never got the chance. For two weeks, Down Home, North Carolina, staff and volunteers focused on creating an atmosphere of joy and safety around voting. Co-founder and co-director Bridget Flaherty recalled seeing drones flying overhead Saturday morning and a mobilization of cop cars nearby. Any other day that we've been out here for the past two weeks, we didn't see any of that, she said. Flaherty's team not only had safe voter kits, including gloves, 
masks, and alcohol swabs, but also snacks and water and crayons for the kids. Our role was to center the voter and keep them safe, she said. But after law enforcement let loose on the crowd, Flaherty's team switched gears to street medic duties, helping people who had been pepper sprayed by police. It is no exaggeration that this was 1965 in our face on Saturday, Flaherty said. The amount of violence that the Graham Police Department and the sheriff use on innocent people who are just trying to march to the polls is abhorrent. Flaherty said that her group had, has prioritized poll watching and election protection work because of the state's history of issues with voter intimidation and that interfering with a group of voters on their way to the only early voting vocation in the county on the last day of early voting serves only one purpose. We know that the status quo wants to keep things as they are, and disenfranchisement of black, brown, and poor voters has always been the, been the name of the game, Flaherty said. Safety and security is a part of that work. Law enforcement's justification of the attack on voters and others in attendance based on their failure to immediately disperse after a moment of silence is not a new example of how the law and order mentality is unequally applied to the detriment of those fighting for equity and justice. Similar rationale was used when marchers in Selma, Alabama didn't immediately disperse in what is, known now, what is now known as Bloody Sunday. The Lawyers Committee for Civil Rights and the ACLU, as well as the NAACP, have filed a lawsuit on behalf of Justice for the Next Generation and other victims of last week's police brutality. But Saturday's attack on marchers is part of a longer battle in Graham around dismantling the remaining strains of white supremacy flowing in the city and surrounding county. Marchers gathered in the Graham Town Square, home to a Confederate monument and site of the lynching of Wyatt Outlaw, the town's first black commissioner. The Alamance County Sheriff has a history of racial profiling and targeting and antagonizing organizers and protesters. Andy Kroll recently wrote about Alamance County's racist history and clashes with white supremacists for the, for the Rolling Stone. Keeping communities safe is a year-round investment of dedication and commitment. On Tuesday, many of the same group of voters completed their march to the polls yet again to ensure those previously denied the opportunity to vote could cast their ballot. Recognizing the importance of that moment, of the moment, Mitchell says that people cannot be silent or intimidated. I hope that they see that we don't give up and you can't be quiet, said Mitchell. We have to keep showing up. Stay focused on your purpose message. Down Home Ca North Carolina focuses on building a multiracial working class organization across rural North Carolina. They launched in 2017 after the group held a listening canvas across Alamance County. Collective organizing and shared vision is important as communities like Graham work through this most recent incident. This isn't just about Trump voters doing convoys, said Flaherty. We're still battling with local law enforcement and police departments that are the ones who are actually stopping voters from voting. People for Change and statewide organizations like Down Home North Carolina offer an opportunity to challenge and overcome violence from the state in all its forms, including voter suppression and intimidation. Both organizations differ from traditional outreach efforts, prioritizing personal conversations and trusted relationships with established community members in order to move people into action. This work occurs year-round, building on the lessons learned from prior election cycles. According to Flaherty, community safety needs to be built into the framework of electoral organizing in a way that prioritizes justice 
on the ballot by winning ballot down races like sheriffs and district attorneys so that situations like this do not have the grounds to continue. In some of these places that we're in and these rural and small towns, they are the main people stopping folks from voting, Clary said. It's on my mind, and it's a connection that I saw happen over this weekend. All right. So, again, this article you can find at uh, Scalawag. And uh, it's uh, scalawagmagazine.org. And, uh, again, the author is Anoa Changa. All right. So I'm gonna be finishing up here in a little bit. So I'm gonna I'm gonna keep going here, and we'll we'll end up with some music afterwards. So let's get back to where we were. <sighs> Seven lessons the U.S. left can learn from Egypt to resist post-election fascism. Okay, that's uh, by Nadine Neighbor and um, Atef Saeed for Truth Out. Let's click on that. And while I'm waiting for this to load, thanks again, everyone, for listening. And uh, check out our previous shows. We've got the archive for the last five years of shows up at mutinyradio.fm. We also have a link on our website. Please do donate to the station. Uh, Dues are what keeps the, the station alive. And also, if you'd like to donate to this show in particular, that'd be really greatly appreciated. We have a Patreon up, patreon.com forward slash weekly rev. All right. So here we go. Seven lessons the U.S. left can learn from Egypt to resist post-election fascism. One of the last big protests in Egypt after the 2013 military coup is pictured on October 26, 2013. Soon after the military coup on July 3, 2013, the military regime enacted a draconian anti-protest law implicitly justifying the coup. Egyptian revolutionaries continued to protest military rule and the draconian anti-protest law for a brief period of time until the military regime fully banned any and all protest. Oh, that's the uh, that's the caption for that photo. Let's get into the article. Leftists across the nation are terrified about the aftermath of the U.S. election. Whether Trump wins or loses, many are deeply anxious about the possibility of far-right white supremacist violence. If Biden wins, many worry he will betray the demands of the movement for black lives and return us to a status quo that disregards the lives of black people, people of color, immigrants, indigenous people, working class people, women, queer and transgender people, and people with disabilities. As people with roots in the Arab region, including Egypt, we believe that, that what has happened in Egypt since the revolution of 2011 is useful for thinking about the scenarios, about the scenario the left is currently facing here in the U.S. To be sure, the U.S. and Egypt are distinct places with unique historical and political realities, yet they both have authoritarian and fascist tendencies. In Egypt, this tendency was consolidated during the militarized counter-revolution after 2013, and in the U.S., around the White House's endorsement and unleashing of white supremacist violence, and, okay. Indeed, some of the political factors at play in the U.S. resemble those that led many Egyptians into a state of total despair, including grave political repression, unprecedented poverty and unemployment, sexualized state violence, and the incarceration and torture of dissenters. Since the revolution of 2011, when 15 million people took to the streets to overthrow their U.S.-backed dictator, uh, Hosni Mubarak, Egyptians witnessed a transitionary government that betrayed the revolution after promising to see it through. The election of President Mohamed Morsi and a coup followed by the election of President Abdel Fattah al-Sisi 
in 2014, renewed in 2018. LCC has consolidated an exceptionally violent, highly militarized fascist counter-revolution par excellence. Here are seven lessons from Egypt that may be useful for the U.S. in the wake of the presidential election. One, don't act as though politics are only about elections. In Egypt, seemingly progressive strands of the regime and conservatives use electoral politics to suppress the revolutionary momentum in the streets. To be sure, elections matter. Yet popular mobilizations in the streets alongside elections are both essential to resisting and stopping fascism. Two, grassroots activists must watch and document electoral violations through a movement infrastructure that is not based in state or nonprofit structures. Prepare to take legal or other actions in response. In Egypt, before and after the revolution, many activists formed grassroots networks to document electoral violations through the revolution's various stages. Independent monitoring proved to be critical to, process, to processes such as lawsuits or contestations regarding electoral violations. In response, the Egypt government began restricting the monitoring of elections and limiting it to governmental or government-friendly NGOs. Three, do not expect the middle class to carry a revolution forward, but do not give up on the middle class. In Egypt, the middle class played an important role in the revolution for social justice and democracy in 2011, yet many members of the middle class abandoned the revolution when their interests were no longer threatened. They cared about freedom of speech, but not about justice for workers or youth, and they tolerated the regime's persecution of the Muslim Brotherhood. In the U.S., within liberal middle-class communities, there seems to be a pattern that assumes a victory over Trump through elections is the end of the story of the U.S.'s engagement with neo-fascism. The concern is whether or not these communities would be willing to continue the struggle against Biden and the establishment to fight for racial, economic, gendered, and other interconnected forms of justice. Four, don't be fooled by neoliberalism's seemingly progressive face, like the liberal multicultural appropriations of the slogan Black Lives Matter, and keep your eyes on the prize. Egyptians learned the hard way not to trust an army that had made false promises of protecting protesters against the violence of an authoritarian regime. If Biden wins, for instance, will people in the U.S. whose main objective is to defeat Trump care about the movement for black lives? If Trump wins, will progressives trust the military and intelligence apparatuses in the U.S. to save us from Trump-backed white supremacist violence? Are we going to trust that state forces will protect people against white supremacists? If Trump refuses to concede, will we allow for a rise in excessive state power at the cost of people power? Any response to the current state of affairs must rely on movement building for, a long haul, for the long haul by opposing U.S. settler colonialism, racial capitalism, and Trumpism, not merely Trump, while defeating Trump-backed fascism along the way. 5. Work diligently against divisions within progressive movement organizing. This does not mean complying with the liberal notion of unity that obscures racial, socioeconomic, colonial, gendered, and ableist-structured structural violence. It means a principled, united vision committed to dismantling and building alternatives to all forms of structural violence. Dividing with the movement, dividing the movement was the primary counter-revolutionary tactic in Egypt. Polarization after the revolution was inevitable, especially since revolutionary partners generally tend to see implementing revolutions differently afterward. But in Egypt's case, the military regimes. Support of groups such as the Muslim Brotherhood and liberals helped fueled sectarian polarization. Thus, instead of a healthy polarization to implement the revolution's goals or debating about how best to implement the goals of the revolution, revolutionaries and many parts of the society were entrapped in an unnecessary, 
highly divisive and dangerous sectarian conflicts. Fueling sectarianism was a counter-revolutionary tactic par excellence. In short, the military regime dictated its counter-revolutionary divisive logic onto the trajectory of the revolution. While divisions among U.S. social movements are inevitable, we need to notice and address them early on before the counter-revolution beats us to it. Six, make plans for surviving the endless series of rapid-fire attacks. In Egypt, activists and non-activists alike were taken by surprise when the authoritarian power structure revealed its vicious determination to save corporations from the demands of poor and working-class people by any means necessary. What would it take to prepare us for the violence of a potential counter-revolution in the U.S.? In Egypt, the scale of attacks was new, if not immobilizing, to many. If we agree that we cannot talk being underprepared in the face of what's to come, how will, how will we balance emotionally and physically surviving the violence while we continue organizing, protesting, and resisting for the long haul? In the light of the possibility of mass hopelessness, despair, defeat, and self-blame, what is our political strategy, especially when helplessness among us is precisely what the Trump administration wants? And finally, seven, commit to abolition, decolonization, and anti-imperialism. A corrupt military apparatus backed by the U.S. is the backbone of Egypt's authoritarian regime. Yet some strands of the Egyptian left short-sightedly focused only on domestic conditions like fighting against corruption or fighting for democracy within Egypt, producing an agenda that left the U.S. backing of Egyptian militarism intact. If U.S. leftists truly believe that racial capitalism is the problem, then we need to take seriously how global militarism and imperialism from U.S. settler colonialism to the quote-unquote war on terror and far beyond enable and sustain racial capitalism. Defunding and abolishing prisons and policing necessitates abolishing U.S. colonial and imperial war. The U.S. has been backing Egyptian dictators for over 30 years, and Trump and Trumpism have helped consolidate fascist tendencies and dictatorships across the globe. In this sense, perhaps beyond merely heeding these lessons from Egypt, those of us living in the U.S. should approach our Egyptian comrades like survivors of fascism across the globe as allies in a conjoined struggle with exceptionally high stakes rather than through mere gestures of solidarity. All right, if you'd like to check out this article, please check it out on Truthout. And this came out, this is an op-ed that uh, was published in the last few days. I don't see a title. Or I see, yes, uh, came out on November third and again was written by Nadine Neighbor and Atef Saeed and we'll be posting a link on our webpage as well. So thanks again so much for listening and gonna play some music uh, to play us out and we'll be back next week. So have a great week everyone. So I'm lying in bed, right? It's hot, insufferably hot. Mosquitoes buzz and prick at my flesh. Slap! Blossoms of squashed bug blood gel on my thigh. And suddenly it comes to me, what I want from life. 
I want to grow fangs. Stainless white, razor sharp. I want to be a vampire. Nah, but not just any sleazy B-movie vamp, no. An avenging angel of the underworld. My name will be Ingeborg, mistress of the dark. I'll be a tall, bald bitch goddess. Tiny torso, no hair, long muscle-bound legs, and those fangs, those fangs, those fangs to die for. And you know what I'll do then? I'll seep through the plumbing of Aryan Nation headquarters, come up through the toilet bowl, and just as some skinhead troglodyte fits his pimpled butt cheeks on the fudge-streaked toilet bowl rim, I'll sink my fangs into the pale flesh of his pockmarked ass, suck out blood mixed with thick yellow ooze, gulp it into my hollow canines as if it were the filling in a rich French I'll be energized then, empowered by the goo that refreshes. So I'll swoop down south, scale bare walls into the homes of pro-lifers, and with a few precise strokes of my huge, rusted gynecological tools, I'll perform special surgery, implanting dozens of fetuses into the bellies of pro-life men, yeah! Then I'll rub myself on the head and tell myself, Ingeborg, you've done a good night's work. So I'll wink off to a cemetery, snuggle up in a coffin with a corpse of my choosing, maybe Baudelaire or John Belushi or Miles. I'll wrap my arms around the rotten carcass, smile and say, hi, honey, I'm home. From there, you can captain your own pirate ship as you sail through over 44 different shows for all of your listening pleasures. They've got live comedy to small business advice, LGBTQ-friendly to sports, vinyl to gutter punk. MutinyRadio.fm has the best programming the Internet Ocean has to offer you. I bet my peg leg on it, or I ain't scurvy shit-faced McRat. As the world gets wackier and less predictable in every way, it is more important than ever for us to all remember our roots. We wouldn't be here today if our ancestors hadn't had the capacity and the skills to take care of themselves and their communities using the resources in the natural world around them and their own two hands. My name is Wonia Thibault of Buckskin Revolution and Alone Season 6, and I started Buckskin Revolution not just to empower people with a wider range of skills to meet their basic needs, but also to inspire them with a sense of fulfillment and connection that comes with living a little closer to the earth and using our bodies, our minds, and our very DNA for what they evolved to do to help us thrive without the need for modern technology and industry.
If that sounds appealing to you, I hope you'll join me for the Fall 2020 Buckskin Revolution Online Skills Gathering, an eight-week learning experience designed to work within any schedule. It involves pre-recorded classes, live interactive sessions, and online community learning support from both myself and your fellow students. The need for these skills has never been more pressing, and Buckskin Revolution is working hard to bring them to you. I hope you can join us. Get connected with yourself and the world around you at buckskinrevolution.com. Billy Bob, you ever want to be funny? Well, my dogs think I'm funny, Daryl. Well, I mean, you ever want to be like in front of an audience, like other than like squirrels, dogs, and dead persons? Oh, shoot. From time to time, I've been giving it a thought of two. You know, if you go to joke workshop, there's more than two peoples paying attention to your jokes, and they ain't even gonna be jerks about it. Daryl, are you serious? I can get people to listen to my jokes? And they'll even say nice things to you before they tell you how to get improvements. No way. What is this dang nabbit thing called? It's Joke Workshop. Joke Workshop? Yep, every Monday, 6 to 8 p.m. on the Mutant Radius. So you're saying I could tell my jokes every Monday from 6 to 8? That's what I'm saying. It's the Joke Workshop Mondays, 6 to 8 p.m. at the Mutant Radius. Yahoo! My name is Jackie Fielder. I'm an indigenous, Latina, and queer educator. I've stood up to fossil fuel companies, Wall Street lobbyists, and racist police unions, and won. Now, I'm running for state senate and standing up to the most real estate-backed politician in California. Changing times call for new leaders with bolder visions of our future. That means real rent and mortgage cancellation, an indigenous wildfire task force, expanded public school funding, a Green New Deal for California, single-payer health care, defunding the police, and reinvesting in communities, saving public transportation, and taxing the wealthy. And you know I can deliver because I am the only candidate to reject both direct contributions and indirect support from real estate interests, charter school advocates, law enforcement unions, rideshare and car companies, billionaires, and fossil fuel interests. 2020 is the year that we take back our district, our state, and our country for working people. Please vote Jackie Fielder for State Senate by November 3rd. I am Italian, and we brought you Fascismus with Mussolini, and before that, the Romans. So if you think you live in a fascist country, well, you do. Antitrump.com is the antivirus to the Trump virus. It started in 2016 with two sketches and a dream for a better America. No one thought it would be this bad. He was a 70-year-old yammering nimrod. How bad could it possibly be? We are now in a global pandemic without adequate leadership. Individual politics are not important. We need to rally behind curing the Trump virus. Go to antitrump.com. You, poetry reader, this is Bjork's sister, Mjork. It's okay. 
We also have a soul and a weekly poetry reading on Mutiny Radio's AltaCast, tuned every Wednesday at high noon from Glasgow, Scotland. One of our co-hosts from Choose Poetry, Choose Life, Andy Talbot, has a new poetry chapbook, Old Wounds, New Skin, which is available at analogsubmission.com now. Go buy it and don't let the poets lie to you. Once again, that's Andy Talbot's new poetry chapbook, Old Wounds, New Skin, available at analogsubmission.com. I'm Michael Spiegelman. And I am Carl, not Spiegelman. Join us every Sunday, 2 to 4 p.m. Pacific Standard Time on mutinyradio.fm for... Let's watch a full-length movie on... YouTube. We watch the best movies that... uh, Aren't they good? Well, they're chosen by Uh, Here's his theme song again. Bye. Okay, bye. Watch a full-length movie on... 